Welcome, my name is Amapola Ramirez and this is Chicana Moms Podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you my story, my story as a Chicana and my knowledge. I am a certified health coach, a therapist, a mother, but an overall Chicana. We all have many things in common, but I know for sure we have one thing, that our parents sacrificed their lives to immigrate into this country for a better life. I have created this community for you, my Chicana sister. Porque unidas, creamos cambio. Hola, Chicana moms. ¿Cómo están? Espero que estén muy bien. I hope you're having a freaking beautiful day. It is so nice outside. And I, it's it's beautiful. Now, we don't have to gravitate to how the day looks outside for it to dictate our emotions, okay? Be very careful with that. But I love sunny days. And even when it's cloudy, I have found myself to fall in love with just like a very chill, cloudy day. And, and that's how I'm perceiving it at times. Because before I would see it cloudy outside, then I would be like, oh my God, it's cloudy and it's like... It looks depressing, but nope, I changed that mindset and it has helped tremendously, but I guess I want to give you some updates in my life. Um, I want to share with you that I have a self-care and compassion um, sessions that I do virtually. Um, you can go on Chicana Moms podcast or the Chicana Wellness Um on Instagram and there's a link. I have slots available um, for you to choose if you like to meet for 40 minute sessions um, using the Zoom app. I think that self-care is something very important in our lives. We need to be able to implement that compassion, that self-worth, you know, of you know, just of the existence that we have here on this planet. We have so many resources and it's just a matter of just implementing them. Time is another word for love. So whenever you find yourself stuck, the simplest things can be implemented. And those are the things that I touch base and focus based on your life, what works for you. I don't tell you, I give you the tools and you implement them based on what you think works for you in your life. Very realistic, simple strategies that I implement in this program. But at any time, like I said, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions on Instagram and I would gladly you know, answer any of your questions. And also, by the way, I want to give thanks to all those beautiful ladies that reach out to me on Instagram. And let me tell you, like, your response and input on the feedback of Chicana Moms is like gold for me. I appreciate you very much. And I'm glad that, you know, we're able to create this space for us Chicana sisters. Um, you're not alone. You're not alone. Even if at some point you felt alone in your life, I want to remind you that you are worthy. You are important, okay, in this world. No matter who the F fucking told you that you are not, that is not true, okay? Don't believe anyone that's ever told you you're not worthy. You are. You own it. Kick ass. Be the best mommy you can be, but be the best chingona female out there <laughs> that you can be. Um... And, you know, I, I'm grateful for my life. There's times, you guys, that 
I, you know, I have this anxiety and I'm like, okay, I'm very aware of it. So that's the key, obviously. And I bring myself back into, you know, this space in my life to just recognize that I am a good woman. I am very creative. I am just worthy and I stand in my own truth. And that's just a reminder for myself that I give myself. And it really creates an profound, beautiful, magical space for me. But other than that, you guys, um, in today's podcast, we have uh, an attorney that will share with us his input about his life and input about, you know, the work that he does um, for the Latino population. Um, and I hope that you're able to take in a lot of information of this. I don't want to just focus on having female um, speakers in this podcast because I think that, you know, I am a mother of two boys, okay? Um, whenever I see relationships between a mother and a son, I think it's so beautiful. And this is where I don't just want to be like, it's just us women here. No, if you hear a mother with boys, you're, they're important. Um, we're not going to create just this, you know, approach of like, it's just about moms. No, it's also about dads. It's also about even men who are not married and who are impacting this world as well that, you know, that will help each and one of us. Because there's times where my family members have seek support from a professional and they are males and some are females. So at the end of the day, I do want to highlight that it's important to just be open and to bring this knowledge and to get knowledge from different points of views of, you know, in our world. But I hope you enjoy this podcast and... I want to tell you thank you again for being here. So, vamos a empezar. Hello, Rafael. Um, thank you so much for being here and sharing about, you know, your career as an attorney and sharing with us your input. So, Rafael, if you can just share with us, you know, a little bit about yourself, what made you become, you know, an attorney and what is it that you do and focus on? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate the invitation. You're um, welcome. I am an attorney. Um, I focus on um, immigration law. Um, primarily uh, in collaboration with local nonprofit organizations in the eastern part of Ventura County. Okay. And um, I grew up, I'm the first generation of my family in the United States, um, so I grew up in a primarily Spanish-speaking household. Um, my uh, parents were always very um, focused on making sure that we and their children and the Uh, schooling was important, and so they um, really, really encouraged that we uh, stay focused in school um, in conjunction with working in our family business. Um, so my mom and dad started a um, carniceria in the late 80s, early 90s okay. in the city of San Fernando. And um, 
so that was a combination with at least my parents and my upbringing, a combination of sort of school of hard knocks and, and formal education, um, where, you know, by seven, eight years old, I was working on a daily basis at the Carneceria and helping customers and washing dishes and sharpening knives and things like that, um, spending time with my parents at their place of business, and obviously schoolwork. Um, so from a young age, I was always um, encouraged to sort of find that balance between work and school and family obligations. Um, since then, um, the family business has grown, and um, it uh, is now a um, Mexican food restaurant, and um, we have two banquet halls. And so the, the American dream that my parents had aimed for and achieved was a wonderful inspiration for me. Um, and um, they always, um, in addition to sort of encouraging my brothers and I to um, focus on our schooling, the secondary part of what they um, were focused on was community service. Okay. Um, my mom and dad um, found it really important to give back to the community that was supporting them and their local business. And so that really stuck with me, that, that rang true um, as sort of a fundamental um, goal in my life. Um, so I stayed in school. Um, I um, dedicated myself to my studies and working. Um, I went to community college and then um, university. Uh, law school. I went to Loyola Los Angeles, uh, Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, and um, it uh, was a crazy ride in terms of um, uh, the educational marathon of of, uh, of community college and then university and law school. Mm-hmm. But um, there were a lot of valuable lessons along the way, um, and my skill set that my parents had given me, which was primarily a, a balancing act was really helpful yeah. because I had that um, experience to be able to um, juggle my obligations at home and at school and with family um, and at work. So that was a key part of what I think allowed me to continue to push through my schooling. Wow, that's that's really nice. Like you mentioned, you know, you saw your parents hustle, you know, be consistent with their business but the overall goal was you know to be able to provide for their for their family for their children and um you know it's a very profound lesson I mean like you said now you're implementing it in your own life in your career and um that's pretty nice you know to hear also you know you attended a community college because a lot of you know, um, Latinos sometimes are like, well, I can't afford going straight to university or, you know, community college is still, it's still a good route, you know, for many. And that's really nice that you, you are sharing this with us. So it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, encourage a lot of my younger clients to, to do the same thing, to continue on with, with their education. Um, I have a lot of younger clients who are either out of status or are in, sort of mixed status families mm-hmm. and um, there's often a question of well you know I finished with high school and I'm kind of interested in going to college but I don't know how to do that yeah um, you know it, uh, as you said the cost is 
just astronomical sometimes. And um, for me, it was unachievable. I, I wasn't able to do that. Um, yeah. It would have been economically not feasible for me to go straight into that. So when um, I was doing the, the um, community college, it was really affordable. I, I had wonderful um, counselors who helped me through that process. I had been one of the first in my family to go to college. I was unfamiliar with the process. My parents were also unfamiliar with the process. So having counselors and reaching out, utilizing whatever resources are available is obviously hugely helpful. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes um, in our culture, mm-hmm. asking for help is not really smiled upon. Yeah. You know, asking for help is, is usually like, well, just figure it out and do it and, you know, just work hard and eventually you'll figure it out. Which, to some extent, I think is true, but if there is help and resources available, um, then it, it seems unnecessary to handicap yourself in that way. If there's resources I'm a huge advocate of, of taking advantage of those things. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, you're right. And then it's very important to be able to look at what is that we can work with and still, you know, achieve and create that goal, you know, in our lives. So um, you growing up so that because a lot of the moms listen to this podcast is, um, you know, have have boys. How was your relationship with your mom growing up? How would you describe that? That's a beautiful relationship. Um, it still is. Um, yeah. I admire my mom. I, I look up to my mom having, you know, worked as hard as she has her entire life coming to the United States without status um, and and not speaking the language. Yeah. Getting straight into school and uh, trying to accumulate as much information as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, language skills. Um, it, it's it's fundamental to who I am um, in recognizing that about my parents. Um, And like I said, with my mom to this day, I call her and I have a problem or have an issue. Like, hey, mom, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Yeah. Um, So having that resource um, of being able to lean on her and know that, you know, if I have a question or say help, you know, mom, can you help me with this? Or there's some times where like, I'll send her to do a filing for me. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yes, I need you to go to this window on this floor and submit it and get the scans and bring it back. Um, she, uh, she's, she's wonderful. Um, yeah. I'm one of three brothers. Mm-hmm. So the three of us rely on my mom a lot and, and um, we help support her in any way that we can. But she's, you know, a rock. Yeah. Oh, well, that's really nice. Nice to hear because you know, uh, for those moms who still have their boys who are just young and to hear you share that, I'm pretty sure they also would like, you know, down the line for their, their boys to then become men to share that their mom is very important in their lives. So that's, that's really nice to hear. So, I mean, uh-huh. when you try to give back, <laughs> that you know, I hope that the moms that are listening are like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> yeah. in your turn I'm still going to have a small child. <laughs> um, but uh, some part of that is true. You know, sometimes you just need a hug from your mom, yeah. um, which is um, which which can be immensely cathartic. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we we three of us trying to look out for my mom, you know, help her good. with what she needs, and take care of her with with whatever talents that we have. Yeah, that's good. That's really like beautiful to to hear. 
Now, the population that you work with, is it um, focused on Latinos as well? Like, yes. Yeah, okay. Tell, yeah, us, a, tell us about that. 90 to 95 percent. Um, I've spent most of my day in Spanish, um, and the majority of the clients that I have are from Spanish-speaking countries. Okay. Um, I do have countries worldwide, I mean, um, in um, various countries throughout the world, um, but 90 to 95% of my clientele um, are from uh, Spanish-speaking countries. So whether that's Mexico, uh, Central, South American countries, um, it's primarily where my uh, clients uh, originate from. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. And um, where is your office located? So people are, are able to know exactly where you're... Uh-huh. Sure. Thank you. Um, my office is located in the city of Simi Valley, California. Um, okay. And I work um, primarily in the eastern part of Ventura County and the northern part of Los Angeles County. Um, okay. So the... The immigration court system, we have a main immigration court hub in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. Um, I do, I, thankfully, I don't have any detained clients at the moment, but um, I have handled um, detained matters um, down in El Centro, Adelanto, which is a somewhat local detention center out near Lancaster. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of my locale geographically. That's where I'm at. Okay. Okay, so um, I know you had mentioned to me that you uh, help a lot uh, with immigration, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you decide, like, what? why did you gravitate to immigration? Like, tell us about that. That's a good question. Um, well, originally in my um, community college and university work, um, I was studying business because I figured, well, family business and so I'm going to be a business major Mm -hmm. and then I'll go back home and use my talents um, to help my family business. And um, I had a teacher who noticed that um, my math skills were pretty sharp and she said, well, why don't you um, try a, uh, it was a general chemistry class and she said, you know, why don't you just try a double major, maybe you'll like both. Um, this seems to um, come um, relatively easy to you, so why don't you try and see what happens? And that little nudge was was um, the start of this huge cascade of things, um, because then I ended up um, majoring in biochemistry and molecular biology, and then physics. I minored in physics. Oh, okay. um, I thought I was going to go to med school, and um, and decided that. Um, that wasn't a good fit um, for a variety of reasons. And then I figured, well, now I've got this hard science degree, you know, what do I do with it? Um, and uh, my wife, um, who I also admire greatly, um, we ended up um, at the same college together. We've been together since high school, but uh, we independently decided on colleges. And so she was in college, and a really um, serious go-getter. So she burned through college and through years and was off on her way to law school. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to some, you know, presentations and see what that's kind of like. And I discovered patent law. Um, and I thought, oh, well, that's a pretty cool use of my uh, math and science skills. And, and then I realized that the patent law area wasn't a good fit either because I wasn't comfortable with um, what that would do to 
um, access to those inventions. So it would, for me, it would have been um, patenting in the field of medication um, and medical development. And I thought mm. that um, from a moral perspective, uh, that is important, you know, legally that, that provides protection for inventors and incentive, monetary incentive for them to continue to develop for the benefit of um, humankind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that can limit access to those things because now there's a um, uh, capitalist view of, well, you know, we need to maximize profits. And so in order to do so, um, medicine um, should be patented and that yeah. can lead to an increase in cost. And um, so I thought that also wasn't a good fit, but um, I had, I got involved in some immigration community service work and then realized this is my home. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. this is where it's at for me, being able to help people in uh, my mother tongue and reach out to people who are essentially just like me and we just happen to, um, to be born on two sides of a line. Um, yeah. But same uh, communities, same families, same language. Um, with that, with that distinction, and so I felt at home. I, I really became passionate about uh, working with my local community, and thought that this is something that would be a really good fit for me and for my family. Um, and ever since then, that's all I've really done, and I haven't looked back. It's been a wonderful experience thus far. That's good. I like how you said. You know, it just feels home because, you know. It, it takes people time to find that niche. You know, you thought you were going to be a doctor, right? Or a business, <laughs> but you ended up, it's kind of like God put you through a different path, obviously, like the path that you were supposed to be on. It's interesting how just life works in general, right? Just, it's, yeah. yeah. Well, like with a teacher, had that had that teacher not had the confidence in me. Exactly. Um, to, to give me that little heart, had my parents not been, uh, supportive eventually mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> about the idea um, of studying something completely different and yeah. arguably not really applicable to what you know my my trajectory was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there there was a there was a confluence of factors that ended up leading to to where I am today, um, and I certainly didn't do it alone. As I told and supported my family and my wife and yeah. uh, my kids and everything. Um, so it's it's definitely uh, um, a uh, a joint effort. <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds like it's very rewarding for you. It is. It's yeah, pretty cool. It's nice to be able to speak with someone and say, you know, they've they've been trying for twenty years and nobody can figure it out. Yeah. And um, if it was me, we dedicate that time. I work by myself, so I'm a I'm a sole practitioner. I don't have any yeah. assistants or or paralegals or anything like that. So every case that I take is is a direct relationship with me and the client. Oh, so wow. it's incredibly rewarding to be in that situation and, and figure it out. Yeah. This is this is what we're going to do. This is, this this will work. That's and, good. And um, to a large extent, it, it takes confidence from, from my community member also, you know, from, from my client. They've got to say, okay, we're going to try. Mm-hmm. And then we go, we try together, and it's a joint effort to do this thing, and it works. And now everything's okay, and you're a U.S. citizen. And a couple of years ago, you were, yeah. you know, you had a deportation order. So it's it's not often that we can have such a change, but um, it is wonderful to be part of those 
you know, life steps um, in my clients' lives. Yeah. You know, um, reduce that stress, um, reduce the anxiety that's felt by their families. Um, I'm, I'm, a, um, uh, I'm a huge believer in the importance of family yeah. um, to our lives. And so to be able to help maintain family unity um, with my clients is wonderful. Yeah. That that's really nice. Like you say, you work on. You must be really busy. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, there's there's um there are a lot of people that need help. Um, I'm just one person, and so yeah. you know, my bandwidth is limited. Um, and when we do find a solution, it's it's a wonderful occasion for celebration, mm-hmm. and, and we get it done. Um, and unfortunately, given the the political climate that we're in. Um, the immigration system is getting progressively difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's um, used to be when I first became an attorney that we would be able to negotiate with immigration attorneys or with immigration officers. You know, here are the factors that are present in this case, and why don't we come to a conclusion and some sort of resolution that benefits um, the the docket of the immigration court or the the workload of the immigration attorney mm-hmm. and and us the the respondent the the, the individuals who are seeking the benefit that we all kind of have come to a happy um, medium um, and a solution that makes everyone just a little bit happy. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, given the climate that we live in, um, a lot of those things are becoming um, more and more restrictive as time goes on. I'm hoping and I'm seeing waves of change. Um, so uh, we're. We're, we're all sort of waiting with a bated breath. What's going to happen yeah. in November? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. So what like, what advice, what input can you give for those who are seeking support from an immigration attorney? Um, I think, you know, there's a pattern, unfortunately, of many people so desperate, you know, wanting to get that help and they invest so much money and then, you know, they end up being robbed. So um, what are some things that, you know, people should look for when looking for an immigration attorney? It's a really good question. First and foremost, the basics. Um, Make sure that the individual that you're dealing with is actually a licensed attorney. Um, There are individuals um, that may appear to be attorneys, that may hold themselves out to be attorneys, Mm, but are not in fact licensed. Um, they might hold themselves out to be notario públicos, which in um, Spanish-speaking countries may give the understanding to the person that they are um, both a notary public, which we would identify in the United States as someone who is licensed to be able to just certify signatures, and that's pretty much the end of it. There's yeah. a small test that you pay and a small fee. Um, and, and there's a huge divide between a, a notary public here in the United States and a licensed attorney. In other countries, that there's it, that is not as clear. So um, from the fundamentals, first step is just to make sure that the person that you're dealing with is actually a licensed attorney. The second thing I would suggest is just to interview that person, speak with that person, and and determine whether they have the sufficient um, capacity to be able to help you. So are they, are they competent in the field in which you're seeking assistance? If it's immigration, you can ask some basic questions. Um, you know, uh, how long have you practiced? How, how long have you been practicing immigration law? Um, have you had cases like mine before? What have you seen in those kinds of cases? Um, it, it, you can ask what's been their level of success with those kinds of cases. Um, if their website has testimonials. 
know, that would be helpful. Um, but um, at least from my own individual experience, I've um, come to know that uh, my clients like to stay as anonymous as possible. Yeah. And so that, that may not be as uh, helpful, but speak with your friends and families and if, if uh, family members and if someone has had a really good experience with an attorney, if someone has had success, um, then um, interview that person. You know, sit with them. A lot of, of attorneys will offer free consultations so you can sit with them and interview them and see um, how it is that their, their office is run and are you comfortable? Does what they're saying make sense? Um, you know, a lot of it is sort of uh, common sense and, and take the time to really um, do the work to figure out that you're with the right person because, as you said, in the time of desperate need, um, there might be decisions that are hastily made. And so um, decisions made in haste and, and not thoughtfully can sometimes lead to, um, you know, less than perfect results. Yeah. Okay. No, wow, that's really good. That's really good input that, you know, you're sharing and... Um, yeah, as you're sharing about immigration, DACA is something that's just kind of been like up in the air and it comes like there's improvements and then it's like there's so much going on with that. It really um, is. Right. Um, so for those who are um, DACA, you know, the dreamers, um, they're not recommended to leave the country, right? Even if they have that. That's right. Um, on, a, on a personal note, the, the DACA beneficiaries are some of the most important clients that um, I maintain um, because most DACA beneficiaries that are my clients or, or prospective applicants that would have qualified, mm-hmm. we're the same age. We're the same age. We've been in the United States essentially at the same time. Um, there's really no meaningful difference between me, their licensed attorney, um, and, and them other than Again, that we we were born on, on two sides of the line, so they're super important to me, um, and um, it's disheartening to see, um, you know, what what this um, administration has done with the DACA program or has attempted to do. Um, but there is hope. I, I'm I'm hopeful um, that um, that the DACA program um, will receive a, a breath of fresh air. Um, to review briefly, and I'm sure. Um, many of your good listeners will know this already, but mm-hmm. um, the, the DACA program was initiated by way of executive order um, uh, by President Obama, and President Trump tried to um, rescind that order, um, basically cancel the program without providing notice or rationale as to why the program was being canceled. And so there was a variety of different um, uh, legal processes that um, that took place, which, you know, there were lawsuits that were filed um, both by and against the Trump administration and by and against states and organizations. Um, where we are now is that we have the DACA program, which continues to be open for renewals. So if someone okay. has had um, the benefit of uh, DACA, which is deferred action for childhood arrivals, if they've had benefits under that program before and and they have expired, assuming that they don't have any sort of disqualifying criminal convictions or other issues, um, they are eligible for renewal. So as of right now, we're okay. in a period where renewals are open and available. If the person, 
status has expired, again, they can just simply file for renewal. If they're still currently in status, depending on how long they've been in status uh, with their most recent renewal, it may be worthwhile to speak with an attorney and figure out whether it makes sense for them to renew their status, even if their expiration date is a ways out. Um, so, for example, if someone is considering, you know, my expiration date, my current DACA status is in December of 2020, mm-hmm. you know, would, would it be a good idea for that person to renew today? It depends. Um, it depends on their um, their finances, um, because when you pay that $495 renewal, essentially you're, you're, you're buying those two years of protection, you're, you're, you're paying for those two years of work authorization here in the United States. So if you continue to renew it before the expiration date, um, then you're, you're losing out a little bit on the value of your dollar because instead of 495 every two years, if you're paying 495 every year, um, then um, you know that, 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 that can cause additional economic yeah. strain. Yeah. But legally speaking, um, I, I have had immigration accept those renewals before the traditional, um, you know, sort of six-month mark before the expiration date. Um, the usual window we would suggest is somewhere between 180 days and 60 days before the expiration of the current um, the, the current benefit. Um, so, in the example of someone whose benefit expires on the first of December 2020, then traditionally you would begin to think about renewing your status in June. Uh, of 2020. Um, but given where we are and sort of the nervousness about, well, what if the Trump administration tries to cancel it again and then it's closed for renewals, what do we do? Um, and uh, so given where we are, if it's economically feasible uh, for the potential applicant to do that, then, you know, that might be a good, good idea for them to consider renewing um, if their expiration date is somewhere in the future. Okay. Okay, that's so, like. But it gives me hope to know that the House of Representatives passed the American Dream and Promise Act of 2019. This is on June 4th, 2019. Mm-hmm. And that uh, act out of the House of Representatives essentially opens the door for both current and previous and qualified applicants but who have never applied to both apply for the DACA benefits and in the future apply for lawful permanent resident status and then down the line citizenship. Oh, okay. So the, the main, um, not the main problem, but one of the issues with the DACA program as announced by um, President Obama was that it was, it was a temporary benefit. Um, it is something that needs to be continually renewed because it does not give the beneficiary the ability to, um, to seek adjustment to lawful permanent provision status for the remainder of their life. You know, it doesn't, doesn't allow, there's no mechanism to allow them to do that. The American Dream and Promise Act 2019 allows them to do that. So they'll be able to move from DACA status over to lawful permanent resident status, assuming that certain factors are satisfied. Um, which are primarily just to satisfy the, the requisites of the DACA program as it was originally um, enacted. So I'm very hopeful that um, either the American Dream and Promise Act will be 
heard and, and approved by the Senate and, and signed by President Trump, or that the American Dream and the Promise Act would be um, reintroduced in the new Congress um, and signed the current, hopefully, a new administration that would um, allow that to happen. So there are there are uh, indications that the, the Congress wants to do that. Okay. Okay. That's that's. Let's hope for the best. <laughs> let's hope for the best. Eligible to vote. Eligible to vote. Please vote. Um, yes. Here in California, we've got um, March third um, for the presidential primary and some other special elections. So, if you're eligible to vote, vote. If you're not registered, register. Please mm-hmm. vote. Super important. Um, you can make an impact on. On, on a huge number of lives in the local community. So, yes. so please vote. Yes. Yes. We have a voice. Let's make it happen, right? Let's be heard. Yes. yes, yes definitely. Absolutely. Not a foregone conclusion, though. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're interested in this and you're interested in, in, in other things, um, your civic responsibility, please, please get out and vote. Yes, definitely. So now, um, so the individuals who are DACA, for example, and they're victims of crime. Uh, what happens with that? Does that like help the process, or um, w- sure. what happens? It's a, a good question. Um, so, speaking of uh, victims of crime, there isn't necessarily a distinction between a um, victim of a crime who is in or out of DACA status, or uh, who has nothing to do with the DACA program but might be out of immigration status. Um, the, the qualifiers for being able to achieve um, additional protections under the immigration rules here in the United States uh-huh. uh, for qualifying for, for victims of crime has to do with something called the U-Visa. Um, the U-Visa is a humanitarian program um, in which victims of certain, quote, qualifying crimes uh, are able to achieve, seek and achieve uh, something called the U visa. The U visa is a um, formally known as a U non-immigrant status. So, what does this mean? This means is um, if a person has suffered a uh, qualifying crime, um, and it's, it's kind of disheartening to say that you're looking at someone's a victim of a crime, that should be just that they're a victim of a crime. But unfortunately, there's a list of um, qualifying crimes. That would allow uh, someone to achieve lawful status in the United States under the EU non-immigrant um, visa. So, those qualifying crimes um, can be anywhere from um, murder uh, or attempted murder, serious, you know, aggravated felony level crimes, uh, down to um, you know, it's still serious, but uh, domestic violence issues, um, stalking. Um, there's, a, there's a variety of, of qualifying crimes. So if, you, if any of your listeners have been uh, a victim of a, of a crime here in the United States and they may be out of status, it be important for them to speak to their immigration attorney about that issue so that the attorney can look at their case very carefully and see whether the situation that that person consistently suffers is something that can match one of the categories um, under the EU non-immigrant eligibility list. So that's usually the first level inquiry to see whether the um, prospective applicant is a 
one of those boxes, then the, the process is um, two steps. The first step is to seek certification by the investigating agency. So for example, incident that occurs within the borders of the city of Simi Valley, um, and it's a, for example, it's a domestic violence issue. Um, then the, the victim reports the, the, the incident, the police investigate, and thereafter a police report is, is, um, is produced. Um, the first step in the process is the certification, which is the immigration attorney or the victim themselves can seek the assistance of the local investigative agency, in this case would be uh, the Simi Valley Police Department, and we would ask that the City of Simi Valley certify, that the, the uh, Police Department of the City of Simi Valley certify that the person was a victim of a qualified crime. So the, oh, okay. the investigative agencies, the law enforcement or the district attorney agrees with the immigration attorney or with the applicant, yes, we agree that um, Rafael Torres was a victim of crime X. And that crime X is within the list of eligibility. And they will then sign, hopefully. Yeah. So if they sign that certification, the second step in the process is to send that certification to immigration and ask that immigration respect the decision of the local law enforcement agency uh, and deem that that person, Torres in this example, is, um, a, is qualified to receive the U non-immigrant status. I okay. then hold the U visa, um, and I need to hold it for a certain amount of time in good status without committing any crimes or leaving the United States, living here, you know, physical presence in the United States. And then I can apply for my green card based on my own um, individual circumstances. So not based on a family petition or anything like that, just based on the U visa situation itself. Okay. So, yeah. So like you're saying, there has to be obviously that proof. It's not just coming in and saying, you know, I, I'm in a domestic violence relationship and there's no proof of any, you know, uh, investigation with the law or any, you know, pressing charges. That's very important um, to have that record of proof, like you said. That's right. Um, the the part of the inquiry from the law enforcement agency, whether it's the local police department or the district attorney, is a determination that the victim was helpful, um, is likely to be helpful to law enforcement, Um in the investigation or the prosecution of that crime. Mm-hmm. So in, in satisfying that requirement of, of being helpful is to report that crime. So if it's not reported, then the police don't know about it. And number one, the third person remains in danger, right? So that's yeah. the, the main concern. And then secondary to that is that there's no evidence about what has occurred. And so even though that person may be in fact eligible, we may not have legal evidence to provide to show that they should be deemed eligible from the perspective of immigration. Okay. 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 That's, that's like, um, helpful, hopefully for those who are, you know, have been in, who are victims of crime and wondering how that process works. So that's, that's very helpful. So, um, well, you know, thank you so much for all of the input that you've provided. Obviously, this is not going to be the first time you're going to have to come back again, give us updates because <laughs> things change all the time. <laughs> I'm happy to. Thank you for uh, allowing me to um, to appear on your podcast and um, and provide this information to your listeners. I hope it was helpful um, if they have any questions. And obviously, I'm um, 
willing and able to come back and speak with you again about updates or issues or follow-up questions to these important issues. Oh, thank you so much. And how can people contact you if they need your your help? Um, Mm -hmm. I can be reached um, via email or telephone call. Um, They can um, find my information at my website. My website is www.torres-firm.com. That's T-O-R-R-E-S-F-I-R-M.com. Um, I have a contact page, so you can send me a note through the website, uh, or you can give me a call. My phone number is 805-915-4738. Uh, for listeners of your podcast, I thought you know that um, they've, uh, they've received my information from you or from your podcast, and I'm happy to offer them a free consultation with me. Okay, uh, And uh, that's usually available by appointment. So if they call me or send me an email, let me know that I'm happy to set that up. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much, Rafael. Appreciate all that you do for the community, the Latino community. It is so needed. You're a Latino yourself, so you have seen that struggle also with your parents, and it's greatly appreciated. So thank you so much, and well, of you. course, you'll be back. <laughs> Look forward to it. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. much for listening you can follow me on instagram at chicana moms podcast chicana health coach and la chicana therapist please leave your feedback i would love to hear from you rate us on itunes an anchor or soundcloud or anywhere where you can listen to podcasts adios